Prairie Farm Podcast, presented by Hoxie Native Seeds. I'm Nicholas. This is Kent. I'm Kent. And uh, today we are joined by one of the most incredible people I've ever met in many, many ways. I don't know. I can't even begin to describe it. One time he was a freshman and someone bet him $50 if he wore the same pair of shoes uh, throughout all of high school and didn't cut his hair. And he won $50 at the end of high school. So that's the kind of man. years. (laughs) That's the kind of man this guy is. It was worth it. (laughs) Uh, Paul Adama, everybody. Paul, why don't you tell him hi? Hello. It's nice to meet everybody. Man. Thanks so much. I feel like we have a real legend. I mean, (laughs) when we interviewed Carol, we truly had a legend on the other end of this table. (laughs) But a dude that is willing to wear his shoes, the same pair of shoes. Now, was there any breaks in between, like, you know, go to church or something or a wedding did you i would wear them to the church and the wedding as well it wasn't it wasn't even because of the bet it's just because they were a good pair of shoes they were worn in (laughs) they're comfortable so So did your feet grow within those four years uh my feet didn't grow but the shoes did kind of start (laughs) popping out you know so my feet were hanging out of the shoes how much duct tape did you have by the end of the I've, I found duct tape doesn't actually work for repairing shoes. Mm. Uh, it's more of a hindrance, so you just kind of let them fall apart. Wow. And uh, So you just and, let them flap around? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, these were this was a good pair of shoes. So they, they got holes in the side, but they never actually, the main heel part didn't come off of the they shoe. They never lost their soul. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Man, that'll, that'll preach. That'll preach. Go for it, kid. <laughs> and, well, the reason I had Paul on today was because we focus a lot on prairie, conservation, hunting, anything outdoors, and com- conservation. Am I missing anything? No, I think that I think that pretty much covers it. It probably covers most of our listeners as well. They're probably interested because of one or multiple of those avenues. Yeah. And is, is Kent a gardener? Kent? <laughs> Kent, how good are you a gardener? Well, you know what? I do have a garden at my house. I can take no credit for that garden other mm. than I did uh, – uh, i got to word this carefully. I did spread some interesting fertilizer on that garden uh, recently. I'll just leave it at that. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a place to leave it for that's, sure. That's been my only contribution thus far. <laughs> We do not use human excrement. Oh, okay. That's a, that so was my next question. Yeah. No, <laughs> oh, that's I, it's that's, far more interesting. That's that. what I was yeah. wondering. I was like, man, dude, Kent pooped in a bucket and he spread it in his garden. You just know that, that's that violates health code. That is, <laughs> that is, is this fertilizer legal? <laughs> it is legal. It's just very uncommon here in Iowa. Okay. I kind of feel like I needed to say what it is now. It yeah. Bear, it was bear blood. Wow. B e a r blood. Bear blood. Bear blood. And that's a product, or that's. It's, it was real black bear, Montana Dude, black bear. He killed a bear with his bare hands. No. He went in with a knife <laughs> and just freaking killed that bear. Tell him about the story. <laughs> it was not with my bare hands. Oh, and technically, I didn't right. kill it. I did butcher it, though. My my hunting partner, I, I missed my shot opportunity, and then naturally it's his turn the next time we see a bear. So he was the one that got the bear. Oh. But, and did you take the blood from this bear? Yes, and uh, I fertilized my garden with it. How does that process work? <laughs> Why are you so interested? There are no bears in Iowa. Well, I figure you can use, you know, possum blood or whatever, you know. Well, okay. Or is it specifically get, black bear blood? We could really get into a, you know, a very deep uh, huh. philosophical conversation here because black bears were not only native but prevalent here in Iowa. And uh, I did not know that. I'm going to make my prediction right now. This will be forever on record because of this podcast is going to last forever. Nicholas is going to live forever. 
But I think black bears are going to be re- have a reestablished population in Iowa by the time, you know, I'm retirement age. Okay, I want to play off of that because what do black bears need to come back to Iowa? They need habitat. We have it. And we, and, and we need people to be taller. You know, the, really, the reason black bears uh, aren't here anymore, you know, during, during the timeline when Iowa was being settled, uh, people coming here, you know, there wasn't general stores or, or grocery stores around every corner. You know, people had to live off the land to literally survive through the winter, you know, and, and uh, they basically wiped out all game that we had hmm. here in Iowa. And black bears were one of the fairly early species to go. And, uh, well, they've that, got so much fat and meat and, right, yeah. and fur. They're, they're, fur they're an ideal great. food source, you know. Yeah. And running up a tree is a really great uh, survival skill when you're running from maybe wolves or, you know, mountain lions, other predators that would have been after them as, you know, bear cubs, really, when they were uh, that instinct that they learn. But running up a tree against somebody who's got a gun or something yeah. like that, not so much a great, a great defense skill. So they're probably – Fairly easy pickings for uh, yeah. early settlers. But I really do think that, you know, northeastern Iowa, where we have some of that vast forest left, I really think, you know, every year we're seeing them coming to the state. We've had two, I believe, already recorded in Iowa this spring, kind of wandering down from up north. So uh, I think it'd be pretty cool to see them back. What do you think they would – so what kind of habitat do they need? Definitely do do best in a forested area. Um, you know, what's interesting is when you look historically at what Iowa would have been with so much prairie habitat, how did they use that prairie? You know, I, I just can't really picture them as much of a grassland animal. Uh, so my guess is they were, their distribution would have probably been the, you know, river bottom type ground like Mississippi and Missouri river. Hmm. And, uh, then of course up North. And I think we did have some fairly decent timber stands down in southwest Iowa as well and southeast Iowa. But, but uh, yeah, I don't know about around here how many we would have, but there are records, I know, in uh, Mahaska County of, of uh, settlers, you know, journaling about killing a bear. Hmm. It's, it's pretty, pretty cool stuff when you look into it. Well, that brings us full circle because Paul not only has started his own business, his own landscaping and, and tree stump business, has not only worked at the Capitol here in Iowa and knows a lot about politics. So not only worked at the Capitol, not only drove bus for a while, not only starting a family. When did you, how old were you when you had your first kid? Uh, 21. 21. Awesome. Man, he was getting life uh, started early. Not only wrote a book about the oh, Constitution. No. no, don't talk about that. <laughs> when he was 17? How old were you? You were 17? I'm not very proud of it. But yes, <laughs> Look, I was no 17. No proud of anything that they did when they were 17. That's true. <laughs> That's, um, but he worked for the DNR for a while and really likes trees. I do really like trees. Well, and I worked in the forestry division of the DNR, so it was a perfect awesome. fit. What'd you do? I did uh, insect trapping. So, uh, my brothers made fun of me because we would use, uh, I don't even know what sex pheromones or whatever to attract insects. And we were trying to see if walnut twig beetle, which is a beetle that infects walnut trees and kills them. And then, uh, gypsy moth. Those were the two main things we were trapping. So, wow. So why, what were you trapping them for? Uh, just to monitor whether they're in the state. So 
uh, gypsy moths, there's a few in the state. I don't think they're like, there's not a lot of them. And the twig beetle hasn't been found in the state, but it would harm what little forestry and or like lumber industry, I guess there is in the state. So, because mm-hmm. walnuts like the most. Yeah, that's a, that, there's a lot of, you know, I think they call them like fly by night lumber companies, you know, they'll call you up and be like, hey, we notice you got a stand of uh, walnut trees there and your little timber back behind you know on the back end of your farm could we come in and log that and that's happened on uh, the farm ground that my family owns that hmm. both on my mom's side and my dad's side both of them have had companies like that come and buy walnut trees off them and it's not a small deal the lack of forestry in iowa it's it i mean people joke about it being like flat and prairie prairie waves but but we had a lot of trees here for a while yeah. And then, I mean, farming started to happen. But then again, in the 80s, when corn hit $3, and then there was no trees to be found anywhere. But so, something about Paul that um, he has a really interesting mind is he pays, you pay a lot of attention to macro and microeconomics. So you pay attention to like what like businesses are spending their money on and what people want around you. And I'm curious, from that point of view, what would it take to healthily bring back forest or bring back vegetation for those things that we really don't have anymore if that makes sense um well i guess right now there's already i mean there's resources so if somebody wants to reforest a plot of ground that would historically i guess would have been trees uh the state forest nursery is a great resource you can buy seedlings of a lot of different varieties for pretty much a buck a piece Uh, and they have shrubs and trees and um but I don't, I mean, how to encourage people to do that, I guess. Um, yeah. I know there's a really good CRP program and stuff, and there's encouraging people to plant CRP and prairie and wetlands and stuff. Um, but I know the wetlands program in particular, you're not supposed to have trees on the ground. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the area that historically was forested might be, you know, it's placed in wetlands and then any tree that would grow, they cut down because otherwise it wouldn't qualify for the program. Hmm. So I don't know what your your guys's thoughts are on that. Well, well, even with like uh, putting in prairie grasses, you know, uh, the idea there is you're helping upland bird populations, which is another interesting topic. You know, you know, it, it's fun to have a conservation themed show here in Iowa because Iowa is such an interesting place for conservation issues. But uh, with with a prairie plot. A lot of times you, uh, you know, you don't want trees mixed in with your prairie because uh, raptors, predatory birds will, you know, use that as their vantage point for picking off, you know, bobwhite quail, pheasants, any other ground nesting bird, turkeys even. Uh, yeah. they, they could come down and, and really hammer those, those bird populations. And so, yeah, you'll even hear biologists recommend uh, get rid of trees in an area that's largely prairies as well for that, that very reason. Yeah. I I find it really interesting that with conservation in Iowa in particular, it's kind of where a lot of people, when they think of conservation, they think of like big mines or like cities coming in or like, uh, you know, highways ruining stuff. But Iowa is, um, this is word of mouth. I, I haven't fact checked this. I've been told that I was the most terraformed place ever uh, for its size. There's never been a place that's had more 
uh, terraforming happened where for anyone doesn't know is where the ground is ripped up and it is put in something not natural like uh, concrete so cities are terraformed or uh for art instance it's corn and soybeans Mm -hmm. right 97 point something percent of the state is uh is not natural and most of that um three percent that's left over is waterway water and anything around water uh those are kind of what's left of what's natural and you know there's just a few acres here and there that's that's native prairie well, and well, that's it. And even looking at a lot of our waterways, you know, they were channelized back, you know, early 20th century. You know, people would get their their dozers out and their excavators and they'd jerk streams straight because you know, it was easier to farm around. And so even even ground like that along waterways has been has been manipulated. And I, I've I've heard a similar statement to what Nick just mentioned there. Uh, a friend of mine was uh, reading a book. I can't remember the name of it. I, th- it's, I think it's just might just be titled "Food," but um, uh, there was a statement he told me about that was surprising. Within that, that said, Iowa is just as manipulated of a surface, right? Surface of the earth has been changed from its original form to the extent of uh, Manhattan Island. Wow! And like Nicholas was saying, you don't really think of that here in Iowa. You think of a very rural area where, you know, people yawn while they drive down Interstate 80 to get to either side of it. And they think nothing, nothing is here, but uh, it's very much industrialized yeah. through agriculture. Yeah. And, and when you think agriculture, you think like land, earth, more natural, but, and, the, and, and there are, and, and there's, we need agriculture. I'm not hating on anyone doing agriculture, but oh, uh, yeah. there, you know, there's, there's limits to what you can do and how well how much you can farm a land before the soil starts taking a beating. But a, a little bit of a turn from like uh, food sourced agriculture um, with with the trees where we lack a bunch. We also have a bunch of trees that aren't native, right? Is there like invasive? Did you guys deal with that at all at the DNR where like invasive species were coming in of trees or was that not as big of an issue? Um, it wasn't like the main focus. We focused more on the insects that were like attacking native trees. Mm-hmm. But the gypsy moth in particular, uh, like Tree of Heaven, I think is a, it's also called a Chinese sumac. Okay. Um, and that's a really invasive tree that's from the same place as gypsy moths. And so gypsy moths really like it. And that's actually a way they they trap gypsy moth, I guess, is they, there's some way to kill the tree and kill the insects on it. And that's how they target gypsy moth in areas where hmm. gypsy moth is kind of prolific. So wait, what, what's the issue with gypsy moths being in Iowa? They're just like a, a stressor on trees. And so they can lead to trees dying. Hmm. So man, and in the forestry division, you know, um, like the ash borer was the big thing. Oh, which yeah. they weren't able to control. And so I think they're just trying to monitor for future pests and let people know ahead of time what's coming. You know, maybe don't plant maples everywhere because uh, like Asian longhorn beetle, we didn't specifically monitor for that, but that could be devastating to maple trees if it comes to Iowa. Mm-hmm. And it seems like everywhere I go as a landscaper, you know, people have an ash tree taken down, you know, you cut it down, you grind the stump, and then they replace it with a maple tree. And so it could literally be the same thing happening over again. But hmm. yeah, well, there's he's right. There's a good lesson there. You know, as far as when we well, and maybe it's just human nature because it's easier, right, to shift to mono monoculture 
models. You know, what makes me money? What What's uh, easy to do? Oh, I'll replace ash trees with maple trees. We kind of set ourselves up for the perpetuated problem of, you know, that vulnerability there. So that's a, that's a good point. And he's right, too, about the, you know, emerald ash borer has just decimated ash trees here in Iowa. So um, it's good mm-hmm. to – I hadn't heard it. I, I had known about the gypsy moth you know, presence and, and, uh, you know, alarm that it's raised, but it's good to hear that it hasn't really taken off in Iowa too bad. I probably set, well, I was supposed to set a trap every, I don't know if it was every square mile or something like that, but that was in, uh, Polk County. And then I set a bunch in Story County and Dallas County and a few counties surrounding it. So I probably set 2000 traps or something like that. And I caught one gypsy moth out of the whole summer. (laughs) So (laughs) it was a really boring summer looking through all the traps. (laughs) Well, that's a good boring. Yeah. I'm so glad you were paid. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's monitor work. So, yeah, (laughs) but yeah, it was, it was hard. And the same way with a twig beetle and the twig beetles are even smaller. So it's, and they're like a type of ambrosia beetle. And so there's ambrosia beetles that are native to Iowa and so I'd be picking through and I'd be like, oh, I found one. And then I'd send it to my boss. He's like, oh, no, it's this type of ambrosia beetle. And it's like, oh, I just want to find one. <laughs> but I, I don't want to find one. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're yeah, exactly. Live beetles or they're all dead or uh, they're all dead. Yeah. Oh, man. You ever find a lot like do you ever have like a clump of live insects just like crawling around you or no, there was you like there was some sort of chemical we used to kill them. There was like the sex chemical that brought them in. And then there's the chemical that killed them. Wow. And so it was just a bunch of dead insects and it wasn't the greatest smell, but you know, it still lives in my memory today. Oh, it haunts you. Every time you'd open like one of the Ziploc bags, you were supposed to put them in. Man, do you, do you feel like the trees, um, you feel like the trees and the lack of trees or the invasive trees, do you feel like that affects our water at all? I know Iowa water is like a thing. People talk about it and it's pretty low quality, uh, like, do you, have have you learned of any like correlation between trees and water? I know. I don't know. I think trees along waterways is kind of controversial because they stabilize it in a way, but then they can also cause erosion. Um, I don't know. I don't know about the connection between waterways and water quality in trees. Yeah. I know they hold a lot of water, yeah. and so they're supposed to be good for flooding, but then they're also supposed to be bad for flooding because then they. <laughs> So they're kind of like a weird, a weird thing, but and trees are weird. If you think about it, they're just like a big plant that is stiffer than anything else on this earth except for rocks. <laughs> they're just like there's just such a weird, weird thing to think. I, I the other day I saw it was on social media, so I don't know how real this was, but it seemed real. It was, it was this giant vase that this old man had planted some sort of spider wart in in the 70s. No, in the 60s. He watered it once in 1972, and ever since then, he's never opened it, and it keeps growing back. It keeps doing its cycle, huh. which is incredible to me. That yeah. is so wild. And I don't know if he has any, like, stratification, like, cold uh, uh, stratification or anything like that, but uh, it it was so interesting to me to think, like, wow, the little ecosystem inside of here. Yeah. Just thinking that because of how freaking weird trees are. Well, that, and, you know, we'll, we'll get to this at some point, in fact, that Nicholas and I are head north to talk to some guys from pheasants forever and and uh you know people can kind of criticize there are a few so we're talking about invasive species here another term a nicer term a less uh sci-fi horror movie sounding term is uh non-native right and uh <laughs> yeah. and you know pheasants our logo here at hoxie 
there are non-native species that not not just Iowa, but all of North America. Mm-hmm. But why do why do we allow them to stick stick around? And the answer to that is really found in everything we've said so far, because our mo- our our landscape has been so modified that what can make it here, you know, why not let it be here? Because a lot of the native species that were here instead of the present, you know, the prairie chicken, bobwhite quail, you know, some of these uh, even. I mean, not a ground nesting bird by any means, but it was another bird species. I'm sure eating a lot of the same things, the, the passenger pigeon, you know, if those things are gone, Bob White quail are still here, but, but, you know, not quite to the level that they once were not, not too far off, but why not let some of those things stay here? Because an ecosystem is so delicately balanced mm-hmm. and, you know, like the example, I would, I haven't seen that video that you're just talking about, but, you know, nature can kind of work itself out and find this balance. And, uh, you know, Iowa is so far off balance. So, so what's interesting is like, I, and I haven't seen the video that you mentioned with, uh, the spider wart growing in the, the vase, but you know, what, what it sounds like from, you know, very second, I guess, third person, cause you'd be the first person, you're the second person, I'm the third person. But, uh, from a third person point of view, who's never even had a view to take a point of, but or however you'd say that, um, it sounds like probably some kind of natural balance was established within there, kind of almost like a little micro ecosystem. But then when you look at a place like Iowa, where we still insist on having very much so a man-made influence on how things work, where, you know, what, what natural balance can really be reestablished, you know, in, in that type of a setup. So it does get kind of interesting when you look at how invasive species, ones that we don't want here, play in. So that's where Paul had his job. And then how does it work then for things that we do want here, like the ringneck pheasant? And, um, it, you know, I think it's I think it's a pretty, pretty interesting study to, to consider, but also, you know, looking, not looking so much in the past all the time, but looking towards the future. Well, what do we want Iowa to be eventually if we could wave the magic wand? of conservation mm. and, and establish something here. What, what would that look like? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that as we are moving forward, right. Cause we probably will never get exactly what the past was, but we right. can create right. a future, right? We, we yep. can't always save everything in the past, but we're, we're moving forward. We can create what, what we have going forward. And, and I think that takes intentionality and I think it takes people doing their part. Oh um, yeah. And another, one of the reasons I wanted to have Paul on today is because Paul, this dude does his part, but like on his level, he's not, he's not out trying to, you know, change the U S Congress's mind. He, uh, he has this yard. I'm I'm just going to hand it over to Paul. Paul, tell us about what you got going on in your yard. Uh, Start from the front to the back. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Well, so I live, I don't know. I live kind of by the stadium. And so that's kind of what stadium, uh, Jack Trice stadium. So Iowa go State. Cyclones. Okay. <laughs> um, and so for a long time, I just used it as a grass lot during game days to park cars. And I still do that with what's left. But I was never allowed to park cars on the front yard. So I made a little apple orchard up there. So I got three apple trees and then also some raspberry bushes. And then moving to the back, uh, I got my chicken coop, which is the most important. And uh, my 12 lovely ladies live there. <laughs> uh, and then I, I have a 
Well, I don't know. I'm just going to sound white trash, but I swear <laughs> I'm not. Um, I have an old trailer that the frame broke, and it was an enclosed trailer, so I converted that to a shed for my equipment. Oh, there you go. And, uh, and then I have, um, when I started doing stump grinding, I kind of made a pledge, you know, I want to plant a tree for every stump I remove. And go. so I made a small nursery of seedlings, and that takes up about, I don't know, maybe a quarter of my backyard. So Very nice. So what do you yeah. do with your seedlings? Because you're not growing them all in your backyard. Uh, I mean, like, you're not planting them all there. Oh, no. No, they're they're all in buckets. So uh, I, I sell them to customers. I offer them at a discount to my customers. Uh, and then I also just post them on Facebook and sell them that way. So Man, very nice. There was also one time I was riding with Paul. We were going somewhere in Tennessee from Iowa. And we decided to take a two-hour detour so that Paul could stop in Illinois to yep. buy rain barrels. So we we drug a trailer <laughs> all the way to Tennessee and back so we could pick up like 50 rain barrels. What did you, what, what, you do with it? You just you have them in your basement or something now? or? Uh, yeah, well, I got rid of a lot of them. So now you can oh, actually... You sold them all. Not all of them, no. A bunch of them. So now you can walk through my basement, which is a nice feature to have. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I just, I mean, it's the same thing. I offer them to my customers and there's kind of a culture in Ames and Des Moines of like urban conservation. And so rain barrels and native shrubs and prairie plants and stuff like that, it all kind of fits together. And urban agriculture too, to a certain extent. People gardening. Why do you use your whole yard? Why don't you have any lawn? Uh, I mean, it's just not useful. It doesn't make me money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, mowing, mowing, lawns and mowing. I mean, cost money. Do you even own a mower? I own a mower. Uh, it does. It's not self-propelled, and it takes me uh, about seven to eight minutes to mow if I'm going really slowly. Uh, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Rough. <laughs> yep. yep, that's the way to do it. But, but I do have to maintain a little bit of lawn uh, for my for my ladies. Oh, they like to gra- they like to graze, yeah. I let them free range when they're they've been good. So yeah, you know, I, w- I had a question for you on that. So I, I don't own any chickens yet. We're still new to to our our little farmstead that we moved on to, but uh, that's coming soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I got to tear down a shed after raspberry season's over because I have all these raspberry bushes growing around this collapsing shed, and I don't want to lose this year's crop to the the collateral, right? <laughs> but the collateral damage there. But the uh, the, the big problem for chicken owners is predation, right? So what kind of uh, urban predation do you have to worry about for your uh, 12 lovely ladies? Uh, well, we're usually, I mean, they're usually in their pen unless if we're out doing something in the yard and then we let them out. Um, but yeah, it is a big problem. We put up uh, bird netting on the top of the pen just to keep hawks and st- owls and sure. stuff like that out. Hmm. And we live right by a creek, so we do have a lot of predators i mean i've seen foxes walking on both sides of my 0.2.19 acre (laughs) plot of ground that's that's a lot of ground there in in an urban area (laughs) yeah or no no sorry did i say point one point i said 0.19 yep okay yeah sounds good 0.19 0.19 yeah so a fifth of (laughs) less than a fifth of an acre yeah yeah i thought you were saying you almost had an acre oh no that'd be great but um but no there's a lot of foxes uh i've seen quite a bit of coyotes and stuff and so we just kind of we don't let them out of their pen unless if unless if we're out with them. Unless you're watching them. What yeah. do they do? They just you know they peck at each other and <laughs> peck at the ground. And do you watch kinda... the pecking order? Do you know what it is? Could you be like? Yeah. Well, we we knew who was on top. We got a variety of different uh, 
breeds and they're i mean they're like dogs you know there's the pit bull of chickens and there's the golden retriever of chickens and stuff do not get a leghorn <laughs> they're, they're so aggressive and we got this leghorn and we got a few ducks too and there's the one duck that was bow-legged and uh the leghorn just beat up on this thing like defeathered the entire back oh, and oh. Like, about killed this poor duck <laughs> just because you know he was at the top of the pecking order and i guess you know, you're supposed to get rid of the weak link uh, for the good of the flock. Oh, <laughs> there you go. There's, there's, there's our hashtag for today for the good of the flock. For the good <laughs> of the flock. Oh man, I think that's awesome that you're you're buying into that urban agriculture, ur- urban conservation model because I think people have seen that's where a lot of traction can be gained. Right? We talked about it earlier. Uh, ag is so critically important to human civilization, especially uh, how we do modern living, you know, in most places. The model that we have for ag right now suits it well, but it does not suit conservation very well in a lot of different ways, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But people are realizing, hey, you know, if I live in town, I got this yard that just costs me money. I got to pay property taxes on it. I got to mow it. And uh, mowing takes time as well. And uh, you know what? Maybe uh, I could actually find, in your case, you have found a way to turn a profit on your yard or uh, just maybe even be more conservation-minded with, uh, you know, maybe I know there's in some urban areas some really strong urban pollinator outfits and and organizations that people can belong to. And, uh, you know, people are starting to see that there's value even in some of the most unexpected areas. Mm. Yeah, that's real. That'll preach. I think it's starting to rain and Paul's loveliest lady and his son are outside. Probably taking shelter in the truck. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But uh, so I think we're going to wrap it up there. Do you guys have anything else you wanted to add? It was just great getting to meet you, Paul. This is this is good stuff. We gotta have you back on the show. <laughs> I think I think uh, the Hoxie YouTube channel needs to make a trip up to uh, see Paul. See Paul. Man, see maybe the backyard Paul, operation, dude. Paul, you could be like a young Uncle Cy, you know, Uncle Cy from <laughs> Duck Dynasty, but you'd be like a young version here on the farm and come work on the farm and just doing crazy crap all we'll, the time. We'll, we'll come out the day of the Cyhawk. Oh yes, right? which I think is that not that's in Iowa City this year. I think isn't it? The Cyhoxy native seeds. There we All go. right. <laughs> I, I we'll think go, I'm... we'll go there during that game. We'll see how Paul makes money off of parking cars in the front yard. Under the, front yard under the apple tree. So <laughs> allows a U pick apple service to their feet where parking. They're then, they're uh, about a quarter, quarter size right now. Sends so. them, and then sends them home with an egg and a uh, little tree sapling as well. Wow. The inspiring conservation at its finest. Man. That's so cool. All right. Well, thanks everyone for joining us. This has been the Prairie Farm Podcast presented by Hoxie Native Seeds. And remember, conservation, as Paul has shown, is done one yard at a time. Thanks for joining. Say bye, Paul. Goodbye.